Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley, and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the recently-ish released film, Violent Night, starring David Harbour and directed by Tommy Wakola, which is a phrase you're going to hear a few times in this conversation, because, well, I won't repeat myself for the third time. You'll see when you get there. First of all, some general housekeeping stuff, which is that uh, I want to say, happy. Happy New Year, because at the time you hear this, it will, well, assuming you listen to it when it goes out live, it will be New Year's Day, but it will be 2023 when you hear it. Either way, I'm pretty sure there's no time zones left that have to cross the threshold. I think we're all there now. When you listen to the conversation, you are going to hear me specifically constantly mention New Year's Eve. Uh, This episode was literally only recorded a couple days ago. Uh, I'm literally trying to squeeze this in between uh, being away, coming back, going away again, and then coming back again, because I really wanted to talk about this film, because I literally watched it over Christmas. And Patrick was nice enough to be like, hey, I would love to talk about that film. So he snuck in there before anybody else could even be considered. He claimed his prize. So thank you, Pat, for reaching out, because that made uh, the decision to actually do this episode much easier, because it was like, well, it's already, it's already sorted. It's waiting for me. Great. But I just wanted to clear up that confusion in case you're wondering what the hell I'm going on about, because I do kind of lose the plot halfway through this one. Well, more like towards the, the, the end of this one. You'll, you'll, you'll hear that when you get there. Also, I want to give a, a thank you to everybody that's listening. I didn't really do a end-of-year retrospective like so many other shows did. I'll be honest, it didn't really occur to me. Most of the types of shows that I listen to don't really do that sort of thing. And considering that most of the films that I have talked about do not have 2022 as their release date, even though I've done a couple, I didn't really see that me talking about the year would be that beneficial, because aside from just telling you how the show's doing, I guess, uh, there isn't really much that I could give to that. But I do love the idea. I have enjoyed listening to some other people's, uh, both on like podcasts and YouTube channels, etc. So maybe in 2023... There will be some thought I can put into that to see where we can potentially grow uh, from that point of view. And speaking of growing in 2023, I am very excited for the year's content that is upcoming. There are several things in the pipeline that I, well, I hope you guys are going to enjoy when they happen, if they happen, because... I am very aware of the fact that I don't want to tell people some of the things that I have got penciled in because I know that uh, (laughs) you pencil something in so that you can always erase it and when you're dealing with people that work in the industry uh, you definitely have to pencil things in and I know that you guys really enjoyed the episodes with Liam O'Donnell with Kelly Polling with Lauren Avedon and so did I and I really want to try and bring more people on that have actual hands-on real-world experience in the industry, but there are other people that I 
have made contact with. And there are a few others that I've reached out to, and there's a couple more people that I specifically want to see if I can grab. So we will see what 2023 brings. Obviously, the show isn't an interview show. There are plenty of people coming on that you know and love. There are some new names in the same circles that uh, have already recorded episodes because they're actually ones that were recorded a while ago. And they are the last, the last two holdouts uh, from the 2022 backlog, which is uh, the next two episodes that you'll hear after this one. So look forward to those. And they feature people that you haven't heard before, but if you're in the action Twitter circle, you will definitely be familiar with them. I'm also hoping to have a couple of people on that are, well, they're people that run podcasts that I have listened to for a very long time. One in particular has already agreed to come on, and I'm very, very excited about that because I've been listening to this guy, well, pretty much, well, years, really. There's there's two shows in particular that I've been listening to that cover action and kung fu related stuff, and one of them has agreed to come on and be a guest like most people do, uh, so now it's my mission to get the other one, and, you know, that will that will definitely be a nice little thing for me for 2023. You'll have to wait and see. I suspect that you guys will be more excited for the guests uh, from the industry. But, you know, it's it's exciting for me. So 2023 should be a good time. And I'm really, really looking forward to having a lot to edit again. And uh, I'm going to try and have a better schedule this time so that I don't end up with so many episodes and just adding to them rather than getting through them. So without further ado, I'm going to hand you over to myself and Patrick. I know this was a bit of a long intro. And I also just wanted to say thank you to everybody that listened to me either on the previous episode or the one before, because I honestly can't remember when I said it. But many of you have rated and reviewed the show. A couple people have left me some nice comments on Spotify. A couple people have left me some nice reviews on other podcasting apps. So it really does make a difference to your discoverability. And the more people that discover me means the better ratings the shows get, which means, you know, It gets bigger and better, hopefully, is the thought process. So I want to thank you for the bottom of my heart because, again, this show is not a year old yet. That is coming up very, very soon, but it is not a year old yet. That will happen in January. So thank you to all the people that listen to this show. You mean the world to me. Enjoy this conversation on Violent Night with Patrick, and I will see you very, very soon for the next one. Alright folks, here we are, the one that's going to just sneak its way into the end of 2022 at the time of your listening, and to be honest, not that far off at the time of recording. (laughs) Joining me, once again, we have Patrick Bartlett. How are you doing today, Patrick? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I have had what I'm affectionately nicknaming a cozy day, because I'm literally recording in my dressing gown just chilling with a cup of tea, and I'm like, I'm not getting dressed, I'm not going to work, I'm going to podcast, so I don't need to get pretty. <laughs> I mean, I had to work a half day, but ever since I've gotten out of work, I then instantly got home into pajama pants and a t-shirt, which I plan on being in for the rest of the next several days. That's the spirit, we like to hear it. <laughs> and, as I will have hopefully said in the intro, we're going to be talking about 
Violent Night, which uh, is a film that I think a lot of people probably have on their minds, and it's very topical given that it is probably a film that I'm going to imagine will be the next film to have the age-old argument of, is this a Christmas film? And I feel like you, okay, I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> like, if you had that argument with a movie that features fucking Santa Claus, I'm going to be pissed. Like, if people are like, I think that's almost why this movie exists, is just to shut down that argument once and for all, of like, we're gonna do Die Hard, we're gonna do it actually with Santa, so no one can fucking question if it's a Christmas movie. Like, it has fucking Santa in it, Scott! It does, it does. However, I feel like the counter-argument to that would be that, uh, Christmas movies have to be feel-good films, and, you know, I felt love great. and affection. And I felt love and affection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, this film definitely brought joy to me, so I'm gonna say it brought joy to mankind. That's that's how I'm gonna look at it. <laughs> I mean, I saw it with a, like, thousand, couple thousand people. I don't know how big that, that was a huge room. I don't know exactly how many people, because I saw it at Comic-Con, and, like, it was a huge room. It's like their biggest stage and it was packed to the fucking rafters and everybody was having a good time. So like, I definitely think it feel like it brought joy to a lot of people. Good. So first things first, I think you've kind of just answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Obviously you saw it kind of before a lot of people when you were at Comic-Con. So what was your initial reactions when you saw it? I mean, it was funny because um, I was telling you before we started recording that, like, uh, the day the trailer went up was the day that they uh, dropped the tickets. Because basically the way Comic-Con used to work was basically you had to show up and they would basically give you either a wristband or they would tap your badge and then you would basically be reserved. Whereas now, they like, the last couple of years, they basically just do tickets to the bigger panels in advance, um, like the day or whatever before. Um, so I had gotten my ticket and I was the only one because my friend Kevin drags his feet on everything so i was the only one that got a ticket in our little group and i was like fuck it i'm still gonna go so like we went to comic-con that day we eventually kind of broke off um i went to this and like i got a really close spot actually which was really cool um the only thing that was weird was they had carolers beforehand and carolers at the beginning of october starts off kind of funny and then becomes really annoying really fast and it went on for like 15 minutes um, but then we watched the movie, like, they showed us the movie, they had the, like, Leguizamo and Ricola and, uh, Harbor introduce it, showed us the movie, and I, like, I, the, I, I've had the same criticisms forever about it, but, like, which, they're really small, and, like, because as, like, a whole, I think the movie is awesome, and, like, the more I watch it, the more I do like it, but, like, from the initial night, I was just, like, especially watching it with the crowd full of nerds who were eating it up, it was so fun, and it still is so fun. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I obviously had a very different experience. I literally watched this on Christmas Day uh, with the family, and it was potentially one of the better, if not best, Christmas viewing experiences. I, I'm not against Christmas films. I enjoy quite a lot of them, and I enjoy rewatching them. But getting to sit down and watch what is essentially an action movie blended into a, a genuine christmas feel good story like it is in there despite what i was joking about in fact some people have complained that perhaps that stuff overshadows a little bit too much and i think that'll just come down to personal preference myself but uh i really enjoyed it i was so happy to see it and i i thought it had some very different but 
what's the word I want? Authentic is definitely not the word I want. But <laughs> it, but it but it, it it lent itself to discussions after the film, and considering that the two people I saw it with are not always down for that, and they both were. That that made me smile. Like that's that's how I know this film achieved something. And I think a big part of that, because I don't always mention the writer, the director, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but in this particular instance, the fact that this film was made by Tommy Wirakola, it makes a big difference because regular listeners of this show may know, they may not know, that this isn't the first of his films that we've done because Lindsay from the Shock and Awe podcast came on a while back and we talked about Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. And if you've listened to the episode, you'll know that I adore that film and have been championing it for a very long time. Lindsay felt the same way, but I've also enjoyed his two Dead Snow films. And I'm very, very sad that uh, it doesn't look like Dead Snow 3 is ever going to happen. But the fact that he was able to come along and make Violent Night kind of makes up for that, in my opinion. This was just so much fun to be singing along and caroling and then watching a big guy in a red suit smash someone's face in with a sledgehammer yeah that was actually my like my thing i was saying to people i was just like um when i first saw it i was like if you have ever wanted if you ever even wondered what it would be like to watch santa absolutely fuck people up like an entire platoon with a sledgehammer this is absolutely the film for you so one thing I will say for people listening, ordinarily, I might have uh, notes or a very well written out for me series of events that happens in this film. I don't have that because, as I say, I watched it at Christmas. So this was not a film I was specifically watching for the podcast. Uh, so I'm doing this from memory, which is fine. I can do that. But I just, you know, I'm probably we're probably not going to be. Uh, as focused, I think is the nice way of saying it, as we normally are. So right off the bat, did it draw you in from the first moment when they were sat at the bar and he was talking to the other, uh, the mall Santa? <laughs> I mean, yes and no, because like the thing that's funny is it's almost kind of like a misdirect where it's like it starts off. I mean, I'm already into it because I like David Harbour anyway, um, but um, they kind of make it seem like it's to be like a bad Santa kind of vibe. And as I said, I didn't watch the trailers. Like I never really watched trailers. Um, so um, I didn't really know exactly what it was going to be. I just knew 8711 was involved. So I was just like, I'm assuming it's going to get into a place of action. But I was like, right now it's bad Santa. And that's fine. But um, I, I love bad Santa. But um, as it goes on and it becomes it, what it is, I was like, oh, no, this is not at all what it, like, it seemed like it was going to be. Which actually, that's why I don't watch trailers. Because it's like, that way you get the purest experience watching a movie. You're just like, well, you're just going in the rod they take you on. And that was because I think that, like, that's... The thing of the movie that I think is really good is that, like, because David Harper is so good that at the very beginning of the movie, when he's basically the Santa that's about to give up on being Santa, you're still, like, sympathizing with him from the, like, from the jump. Just because David Harbour is so goddamn good and the points he's making aren't necessarily inaccurate. So it's like, wow, I'm like, yes, I am. I'm right there with you. I am right there with you, Santa Harbour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, when So I had obviously seen the trailer and there were some scenes in the trailer that I actually thought were was funny that as seems to be the case with most trailers, they weren't actually in the film. There was some extra stuff where the two Santas were talking 
and he sort of turns around and and he's like how long have you been in this business and he's like oh you know i started this whole damn show but i feel like they took that out so they can have that reveal later on of how old he is and how long he's been doing this but um i did love his speech about how corporatized christmas had come how nobody appreciates anything no one's genuine uh kids don't have joy they just have demands and there were so many jokes of that nature that kept going through the film like later on there's a point where he tries uh attacking people with what's in his uh, santa's sack and all he keeps pulling out is bloody video games which are of no fucking use to him and i thought that was hilarious especially like you say after he had this depressive rant at the beginning and I remember I was sat there and I was sort of like, oh, wow, we're going there. And I, and he finished and like the bar was silent. And my dad just went, you didn't tell me this was a documentary we were watching. <laughs> <laughs> well played, Papa Wiley, well played. But uh, I, I almost feel like it would have been better if they hadn't shown him fly away with the reindeer. Like if he just walked out normally instead of walking out onto the roof and then she sees him. But I did I did love the whole, how did he know my son's name? How does he know my grandson's name? How does he know my name? And then he's just gone. I was like, that that, that I, I thought was enough. Like, just leave him wondering, you know? Mm. I mean, that's fine. I, I definitely think it's true. But like, I never even thought about it until you just said it. So it's like, it didn't even, yeah. It's, I mean, I definitely think it's not like it's bad. But I also, it kind I, I do like that it kind of gets you into the whole like, magical element really quickly especially because like it juxtaposes really well later on <laughs> it gets more and more like action-oriented but it's beginning where it's like ah it's santa and the reindeer and it's like ah granted i mean yes he vomits on her within the first like 30 seconds but like still it's a nice juxtaposition as it goes on yeah yeah it is just one of those films that has such a an interesting cast and an interesting premise that the premise alone may, makes you just go, what? I mean, you've got David Harbour playing Santa. You've got John Leguizamo playing, well, playing the man codenamed Scrooge. Though I do find it funny that he is credited as Scrooge in the actual film. Like, you've essentially got Santa versus Scrooge. Of but also, I, I, it took me a minute to even register who it was. But obviously, Beverly... D'Angelo playing Gertrude, who is so well known for the National Lampoon films, one of them being, of course, the Christmas one, which I'd say is one of the most iconic. And here she is basically playing the polar opposite of that character. But man, does her comedy skills still shine through. She got so many laughs out of us with the stuff she said. It was great. No, yeah, that was the, I was like, I recognized her right away. But yeah, like, because I, I mean, I, I love Beverly D'Angelo, but, um, but yeah, no, she's fucking great. Like, well, I mean, I think it's like, I will say, even the people who I like normally, like from top to bottom, I think everybody is good. Because even the people that like, I don't normally like, like, there's a lot of our friends who apparently are really big fans of uh, Cam Gijendet. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, I have never liked that dude. I always thought he was the most bland, handsome guy. And like, all of a sudden in this movie, he's actually funny. It's actually, it's like, it's like this and easy A. And I was like, that's actually more annoying when somebody is handsome and funny. I was like, why would you take that away? Like, why would you? You don't need both things. Just be one of the things. You don't need both things. But he actually is very funny in this movie. Like, from top to bottom, everybody, even, like, the little kid brings their fucking, like, A-game to this fucking movie. 
Yes. And uh, sorry, I had to take a second whilst you were talking then to try and figure out who the hell Ham is, because I was like, yeah, I don't know which one that is. And then I went, oh, that's the guy that played the actor. Yeah, he got he got some good laughs. And then I was like, what the hell else has he been in? And then I saw Known for Twilight. And I yep. went, ah, oh, that's why I don't know who he is. But then I saw <laughs> Known for Never Back Down. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a that's an ancient memory. The first Never Back Down was like 2008. It's no wonder I didn't recognize him. Like he was a kid back then. Yeah, I can't say that I'm a I'm a fan or not a fan. I've never really seen him in anything else. Like I'm just just quickly scrolled through. I can see he's done what looks like the equivalent of a bunch of DTV action films alongside various Twilight appearances. But um, yeah, I, I thought he was fine in the film. Uh, I, I can't say I was particularly sad when he wasn't in the film but he got he got some good laughs well, no yeah <laughs> i mean i'm not like saying i wasn't happy to watch him die because that's a delight but um i like i just like for what i would generally expect from him this is the second time that he's been able to like actually make me laugh so i was like good for you buddy like i'm glad that you've managed to carve out this weird career that you have I think for me, the reason why I found him maybe slightly funnier than like, say, Jade or my dad did is that uh, he felt like he was taking the piss out of a certain type of action star that believes their own hype. And uh, I think everybody who is into these sorts of films has one or two people that could fit the bill of the person that he was playing in this film. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> that's fair that's that's quite fair i cannot argue with your point although i do like also because speaking of people who are like in tiny ass parts um i actually don't even know the actor's name i just know him from freddy versus jason um but the guy who was krampus um brendan fletcher yes 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 um from i just know him from freddy versus jason but he's great like he is very very good <laughs> like in his in his like three or four scenes he gets to like do stuff in he is great in all of them yeah yeah no i agree um he he gets to do he is he's really good the kid is really good in fact to be honest i was actually kind of like not really certain on the idea of john leguizamo being the main villain because i i i know this is unfair to say but I, in my head, when he came on screen, I, I said it out loud and, and I got a chuckle from folks. But it was literally like, oh, kids, look out. It's the dude who works on John Wick's car coming to fuck shit up. <laughs> it's I like, mean, I, he's, I know he's done tons of other stuff, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I, I, for, for a large portion of people out there, that is who he is. <laughs> You're not wrong. And actually, my one, the one major criticism I have of the movie and it's again, it's like I, I think that he is great, but my only thing is I feel like he underplays it. He's trying to play it like more like real. And I was like, you have to play the exact same level as like your other like your minions, if you will, I feel like to make this work. Um, and all of the minions are playing it very over the top and he's playing it very straight. And I was like, this feels super weird. Like he's not bad. Like, I think he is good in the movie. Like, there's a genuine air of menace that he brings to it that I think is cool. But, like, I was like, you have to be, like, Hans, like, or Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber, like, matching the energy of those other terrorists. Like, you have to be, like, has to be, it just feels like a unit to me, or else it just feels weird. And that's my only real qualm with the movie. Is I feel like John Leguizamo, I wish he had gone, like, Bigger. so much harder. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, to be honest, I agreed. I did like what he did as the film went on and got darker, but in the beginning, he really does feel out of place. Some of his crew, well, half of them feel like they're just carbon copies from Die Hard, and the other half feel like they've been taken from a Home Alone movie. Oh, that's that's what this movie is. Like this movie is yes. literally like, in like I mentioned Freddy vs. Jason. This is basically like they were like, uh, we we want to cross over John McClane and Kevin McAllister. We can't do it because they're both old now. So like, how can we do it? And then they just figured it out. So it's like it definitely has equal parts Home Alone and Die Hard. Well, the thing is as well is sometimes that would sort of annoy me that a film that is so obviously taking from big films that came before it. And and getting praise for it. Sometimes that annoys me because it's like, but but it's just Die Hard and Home Alone. And this isn't it's just Die Hard and Home Alone. But even if it was, one of the things that they do that to me makes it a bit more like enjoyable if that if that is when, as I said, he's pulling stuff out of Santa's sack to try and fight a bad guy with, they have this wonderful moment where he pulls out uh, another case and you're like, oh, it's another bloody video game. And it rips and he's like, Oh god, it's Die Hard on Blu-ray! And I <laughs> died laughing. And then, of course, later in the film, when the kid is hiding out and being hunted by people, they don't just reference Home Alone by name, which they do. They recreate it almost scene for scene, but they make it violent as fuck. And which I it should be, and is, that, like, that's like, yeah, no, that's why, like, because that's kind of my, my thing with, like, the gore and the violence in this movie that makes me happy. I mean, in addition to the fact that I'm just a, like, a uh, gorehound, but, um, like, there's a weird thing to me, like, when you show violence and you don't show, like, the effect that violence has, like, it's one thing in, like, Marvel and, like, DC and stuff, because that's literally just fantasy, so, like, I get that, that's fine, you don't necessarily need to show, like, Thor knocking somebody's head off with the, with Molnir, but, like, in terms of, like, Home Alone, like, I remember, like, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've, I've heard that, like, um, they tested Home Alone without, like, the music and the sound effects, and people were, like, horrified <laughs> watching everything that happened to, like, the, to the wet bandits, sticky bandits, whatever. Um, and then, like, they put the funny sound effects and the funny music, and everyone's like, ha it's hilarious. And I was like, this kind of goes back to, like, it's funny, but it's also horrifying. <laughs> like, when the stair breaks and his fucking, like, the nail goes through the guy's mouth, that is horrifying it's hilarious but it's horrifying oh yeah yeah and and the fact that um they laugh at how poorly she set the traps up and then the traps they'd already avoided they end up falling back into and like a bed of literal rusty nails just <laughs> imploding into your back i was like yeah no that would be me out i'm not I, I don't care i'm not going up there no matter how much you're paying me but um yeah, you make a good point. I'm pretty sure uh, that they, I, like, I've heard that before, that Home Alone was, you know, tested to people without the sound effects and it was horrifying. But I'd be honest, I think that's true of a lot of slapstick. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, you, if you take away the sound effects and you take away the, like, comical reactions, because that is what makes the, the Wet Bandits work, I feel like, where a lot of the sequels, to be frank, to Home Alone and other films that tried a similar sort of thing didn't work because the actors didn't have those comical over-the-top reactions down which is so funny considering you know where the, those guys came from but sometimes you need the most serious of actors to make the most over-the-top com comical things work yeah and i mean in christ in fucking home alone you had joe pesci for his sake 
Well, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the best actors ever. So yeah, of course he makes it fucking work. He can make anything work. He's Joe fucking Pesci. Like we said, this film definitely... If you like Die Hard and Home Alone, you will like this film. And uh, I, I also had to chuckle because we met up with a few of my friends when we were down in Cornwall. And I uh, I mentioned it to them that we'd seen this. And to my eternal surprise, my friend Anthony, who does listen to this show, so I'm imagining he'll listen to this episode. So, hi, Anthony. Uh, he had already seen this film, too. And I just laughed and said, oh, yeah, did you did you enjoy it? And he just had this grin on his face. Now, to, to put this into context, because Patrick has also seen this film, so I only need to say a little bit of the sentence. Anthony is uh, a very big tall guy with ginger hair and even with lots of layers on you can still see the viking tattoos coming off of his neck that are bleeding onto his face and he is covered in runes his hands are covered in runes his knuckles he wears viking rings and he is very much all about the norse mythology so you can imagine his reaction when santa takes his jacket off and he is covered in Nordic runes. And then we start getting flashbacks to him holding a sledgehammer. And I had, and I then sat there and we had an hour long debate about whether or not this is historically mythologically accurate to Norse mythology because <laughs> Odin is kind of Santa Claus and they do kind of take some of that for this film as they should. And I I would never expected of all things this film to be the film that would trigger that sort of a discussion. <laughs> That's fair. I did not have that discussion. I was like, I I had the kind of the same thing that uh Vice had talked about on Twitter, um, the whole thing of the the, the kind of showing this the the slowed down moment where basically they're kind of showing the lore. And I was like, that actually that I thought was awesome, where it's like you kind of show the origin of Santa, where it's just like it's kind of like um I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie Santa's Slay uh, with Goldberg. Um, no. I've referenced it on Chainsaws and Claws a few times uh, because I actually, I like that movie despite my abject hatred of Bill Goldberg. Um, but um, the whole point of that movie is it kind of gives you the reasoning for Santa where he is like basically the son of Satan and he lost a bet. So therefore that's why he's been Santa for so long and blah, blah. Um, but this kind of does a similar thing where it's like, so we're going to like go and we're going to show that Santa had a dark fucking past. And I'm like, okay, I'm here for it. So like, I'm just like leaning in Santa with a bloody fucking Warhammer. I'm here for it. So like a bloody fucking Warhammer called Skullcrusher, no less. Like, I was just like, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I said, uh, the earliest depictions of Santa are from... Norse mythology when because it's a pagan festival it's based on Yule and there are basically almost one for one comparisons for what Odin used to do during the festival of Yule to what Santa Claus does now right down to the fact that they look very similar in proper drawings ignore what you're thinking of in the MCU and they you know Odin would go around and give people gifts he would travel around on uh I can't think uh, what it is now, but it wasn't reindeer, obviously, but it was uh, a mythological creature that, as time went on, became a reindeer instead of like an eight-legged thing. But anyway, that's besides the point. My point was, is that I absolutely love the fact that they incorporated that, and I love the idea that he was this monster of war, and then, because of that, decided to become Santa. That's just, that's so funny to me, like, 
he done so you know he's out there judging people being naughty and nice he's going on about it all the way through the film that the world is getting more and more naughty and then it turns out yeah by comparison everybody else is a fucking saint compared to what santa used to do I mean, it's kind of like the Wolverine thing, like speaking of Marvel, like, because it's like the whole thing of like that, um, the character in the comics, I guess to the movies, to the same extent, um, is he's a dude who has done these horrible things for decades upon decades for like hundreds of years, whatever. And then like like, at some point had a moment occur that made him want to be good and to make up for all of the horrible things he has done. So it is kind of a similar situation in that respect, where it's like Santa being the guy who was, as he points out in the movie, like he he was greedy, he was murderous, like he was like he was he was awful, he was not good, and then like one day a switch flipped and he like dedicated his life to this. So it does kind of it does make the story gives it like that much more pathos, which I think is really cool personally. Yes, no, I, I I completely agree. When I first heard the idea that they could make a, oh, sorry, that they had made a film like this, and I was like, that sounds interesting, and the fact that he was going to be actually have magic, um, and then that was sort of like, well, that sounds like a great one-off. But now that I've actually seen the film, and like you say, they do such a good job of expanding the lore of Santa by giving you a taste of what could be there rather than giving you this intricate bashed out world that already exists and you've got to try and like wrap your head around a hundred different things they just give you one simple concept santa claus is real and then they give you the twist santa claus is a viking badass that slaughtered people may or may not be a god we don't know and (laughs) has now decided to try and make up for that and gives you know makes people happy but they also hint at the fact that he's married, so I assume that must mean that she's also as old as he is, and she's still alive and still with him. We get that confirmation in the film itself. He mentions the elves at the end, the reindeer are magical. There's like a whole what-if scenario of what the fuck is actually at the North Pole or wherever it is that Santa goes when he's not delivering. There's so much they could do with that if they wanted to. And I also saw a bunch of people online saying, give us the prequel where we get to see him as the red and just ripping <laughs> people to shreds, which I wouldn't be opposed to that either. I'm just saying, which I, I if would never have expected that going into this film, you know? No. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I mean, I would not be definitely wouldn't be opposed to that, but I was like, I think it would be cool personally if, um, cause I mean, I mean, the first thing they made me think of was like, since 8711 are famous for John Wick, I was just like, honestly, if you want to give me as many of these as you want to give me John Wicks and you want to kind of do it the same way, we're basically like parsing out information. I'm down. I'm into it. Like, I, I will happily take as many as you're willing to give me. Like, I love David Harbour. I like the way 8711 does action. Like, if you, I mean, preferably if you want to keep bringing back Tommy Ricola, all of this would make me very happy and I would have no complaints. Yeah, no, I agree, because at the end of the day, you don't have to limit it to just, oh, Santa goes into another house and the same thing happens. You don't have to die hard to it. You could come up with a completely different scenario with that Santa winds up in, or insert pretty much any story you want here. And, and I agree, I'd want Wakola back to direct if uh, if he was available. And ideally, you know, if if they do have the same writers... 
maybe just you know we don't need another rehash of what is the true meaning of christmas i think everybody got that with this film so maybe go a bit more let loose a bit more you know Mm -hmm. no yeah i mean the thing i was even thinking is like um if you've ever seen uh the the movie Scrooge that uh yeah, yeah. Gunner did, okay. Um the beginning of the night the reindeer died, I was like, that's the way I think it'd be cool if like the second one is like bad guys come to the North Pole. <laughs> and like Santa and the elves. It's actually even if Santa has to protect the elves, because they're they're very little. They, maybe they can't protect themselves. Who can say? Yeah. Yeah, that could work. I absolutely love the way that Skull Crusher was introduced and the fact that um we get to see Santa, you know, try and save the girl, which I thought was really nice as well, because they really did go out of their way to give a genuine reason why Santa was trying to take down a bunch of criminals with machine guns. The first one he kills by basically accident, which is just <laughs> so funny. But then he tries to leave, which you think, well, yeah, that that is the more prudent thing to do. <laughs> but then, you know, he sees the girl in trouble and then she calls him on the radio and I, and I love the way that he's just like, oh, all right, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to help. And, you know, I I feel like it happens in a lot of storytelling, doesn't have to be films, where children are the easy answer to why would somebody do X? And it doesn't always fit because not everybody functions on a neurological level the same way as everybody else does. You know, not everybody has the same motivations, goals, likes, etc., etc. But the literal embodiment of Christmas, Santa Claus, is not going to turn away a little girl that's asking for help. And I love the idea that you're not just watching a film that's trying to restore people's belief in Christmas. You're actually trying to redeem Santa Claus because he's a miserable git at the beginning of the film that isn't particularly likable, let's be honest. No, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like, that's like, like at the beginning of the movie, I was just like, that's, the, I mean, the reason I like him is because he's David Harbour, and David Harbour is great, but it's kind of the same thing, like, his character on Stranger Things, like, Hopper, um, where it's like, they, he kind of does a similar thing, where it's a guy who, at his core, is a good, protective, like, nice human being, but, like, because he's been a sub subjected and exposed to such horrible shit for so long, it kind of colors who he is and kind of builds this, like, protective shell around himself that is not great. And so it's like you're just watching him, like, watching those kind of, like, the onion layers kind of come off to some extent. And it's like, I think that that's what's in it, that Harbour does really, really, really well. And I think it's why this movie works than like better than like sets like say like Hellboy, which I don't even dislike, but um it's like you didn't there was there's no real way to do that with Hellboy in the way in the same way. So it's like it's not as interesting as as far as like an acting challenge goes, I would imagine. Whereas this, like you get to actually see him have an arc from the beginning to the end, which I think is really cool and great for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are definitely ways you could do that for Hellboy, but yes, that particular film didn't. Um, fu <laughs> That's what enough, I meant. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I didn't I mean in general. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the, the Del Toro movies, he has arts. It's just that, like, and I and I don't blame anyone involved with the one with the the Neil Marshall Hellboy. It just it is what it is. <laughs> like it just it is what it is.
Well, the thing is, as well, is I kind of felt exactly the same, except Hellboy wasn't my go-to example. I actually remember at the end of the film going, I'm so glad that he had this, because for so many people, they just probably see Red Guardian from the Black Widow film, which, to be honest, I was not impressed by, both the film itself, but more importantly, him. Um, wow, really? Okay. Because my whole thing was like, my thing with Black Widow was, the first time I watched it, I wasn't super impressed with the movie, but I liked all the characters. So like when I've rewatched it, and I've rewatched it a bunch actually, it's kind of the same thing as like Days Confused or like Clerks or like one of those kind of movies where it's like, I like it because of the characters and the plot and like the acting is kind of like whatever to me. Um, but I think he is really, I actually really like him as Red Guard. I think everybody in that movie is great, personally. Yeah, that that's fine. Um, I just don't think he has much to do as Red Guardian, considering uh, and bearing in mind I'm definitely coming at this from the point of view of a comic book nerd. I was super excited to see Red Guardian do more than sit there and be told that he's a fat old man past his prime when we've never actually got to see Red Guardian in his prime. But then that film has a lot more issues that I may or may not go into one day. I don't really want to do films that I'm just going to hate on, especially not ones that have the letters MCU attached to them. <laughs> uh, for what I hope are obvious reasons. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I mean, I get it. But yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, I, I, in general, it's funny because like, uh, I remember before Stranger Things, I want to say it was like, actually, I want to say it was like the same year um, that like uh, Suicide Squad came out. And I remember um, I was at the movies with my friend Kevin and we used to have a podcast back in the day, he and I. And um, when we were talking about Suicide Squad, he basically, he, nobody knew David Harbour's name at that point, really. Uh, I mean, his family, probably. Um, but like he just kept referring to him as not Josh Brolin, where he's like the the Josh Brolin you get when you can't get Josh Brolin. And it's like, it's funny that like it, you learned very quickly after that, like, oh, yeah, no, when you give David Harbour something to do, he will knock it out of the fucking park. I So far, I can't think of anything that I don't think that he is good in like even the movies that i don't really like like i mentioned like the hellboy thing where i think it's actually i don't dislike it i think it's fine but like i still think he's good in them i think he's a very good actor yeah no i i, I completely agree and um it's funny too because i would say the same thing which is that you know i i don't think many people knew his name and i and i'd be lying if i said i could have recalled his name immediately but he was one of those people whose face I immediately yes. recognized because he was obviously in Quantum of Solace. He was in Lie to Me. He was in The Green Hornet. He was in End of Watch. And uh, the first time I started to realize, hang on, these are all the same people, was when he played Elliot Hirsch on The Newsroom, where he did get to show that he could actually act. And then as The Newsroom finished, he was in The Equalizer as one of the corrupt cops. And then, like you say, he's in Suicide Squad a couple years later. So it really does feel like he just went from strength to strength to strength to strength. And then all of a sudden, Stranger Things happened, and then everybody suddenly knew who he was. Yeah, and that's cool, I think. Because he, like, he kind of went from being a character actor to being, like, a leading man, which is awesome. Like, that's, that's, I remember that was my, my whole thing with, like, I'd heard some, like, reviews and stuff for this, where they were like, uh, Harbour steals the show. I'm like, he's the lead. <laughs> like, that's like saying, like, Bruce Willis steals Zyhard. Like, He's the lead. Like, that's the fucking point. Like, if, the, if your lead actor isn't fucking fully in control of this, then you've got a rye. But, like, I do think that him as Santa is 
I, I mean, it would be awesome if it was as iconic as uh, Hopper at some point. Like, I do think, because it's like, the whole thing with um, Christmas movies in general is that, like, they tend to last forever if they're good and, like, well-regarded. So it's like, theoretically, this could be the thing that he gets known for, and that would be awesome. Like, I think that, I think that would be great, personally. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I personally think, give it a couple years and see if it's one of those films that starts being constantly played at Christmas like Die Hard is. Because that's one of the things I think I said last week on the Die Hard episode, is that, yes, it, it came out at summer, but I think the vast majority of people, given, given that Die Hard came out in 1988, a lot of its fans didn't see it in the cinema of the year of 1988. Most <laughs> no. people probably saw it when it aired on television, or they might have bought it for a home release, but it consistently gets played at Christmas, and I, I definitely said, you know, it's always on, and, uh, and I'll always watch it, even if it's part of the way through, and I think that's true for most people, and if this film ends up joining Die Hard as something that a channel somewhere is always going to have on for the month of December, then yeah. I think this will be one of those films that just grows and grows and grows in popularity as the years go on. I mean, tell you don't even need to have, I mean, that would be cool, but like, it's weird, like, to, to see the things that, like, the things that do kind of stick, because like, um, like, Long Kiss Goodnight was not a movie that was successful, and it was not a movie that was like, I don't think it's really been played that much, but like, it's, over the last several years, it's kind of really like, picked up steam, and it's been like, one of those movies that like, sits alongside Die Hard, as like, most like, action nerds, like, go-to Christmas thing. And like I will obviously leave the weapon, and like um, I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was just like that's another thing where it didn't do well, but it was kind of like as time has gone on, it's kind of become part of because like, the, the basically the two things because we've already talked about this like in regular life, but like for me, Christmas is just like anxiety day. So like the two things that I like about Christmas is like is it's all the lead up to Christmas which is just watching Christmas movies and um, decorating my tree. And like the things I watch every year, um, Violet Night is absolutely getting added to that list. Like it already, I wasn't sure if it was going to make this year. And then it was just like, cause I was actually, I was going to go to the movies um, like literally the day, the day that they dropped it on VOD surprisingly was the day I was going to go to the movies to go see it again. Cause I was just like, well, I saw it at Comic-Con so I was just like, I have had that cool experience, but fuck it, I want to watch this again during Christmas time. And then they were like, here it is. And I was like, never mind, I'm not going to go to the theater. I'm just going to watch this at home. <laughs> and like, so it's like, I just like, I bet that, I mean, that's what I'm going to do from now. Like, from, because I have like a list of like, probably like 20 movies that I watch around Christmas, like basically from like Black Friday to Christmas every year. And Violet Night is on that list now. Like, I, I really, really like this movie. Like, I think it's really, really, really fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, Long Kiss Goodnight is an interesting one because I can remember watching that at the time ish it came out, or a couple years later. You know, memory blurs that far back. I can't remember exactly when I watched things, even now. But um, I, I, I always loved it, and I just assumed that it was one of those films that people loved too. It was, it was something that I didn't know that people didn't like. So I'm really happy that over the last like you say, three, four, five years-ish that social media has kind of pulled that one out of obscurity and made people reevaluate it. And I think it helps that, you know, 
even though in my mind Samuel Jackson was a big deal at the time, I feel like a lot of people don't think that he was. And given that he has been in so many massive franchises and blockbusters post that time period, I think people see his name on stuff now that they've never heard of and go, oh, wow, let's let's check this out. This was before he was making the good stuff. And then they watch it and go, no, this is the good stuff. <laughs> and I, I feel like that um, The Negotiator is another one that that happened for where everybody all of a sudden I kept seeing it on my Twitter feed like, oh, my God, why is no one talking about this? And I'm like, I've, I thought that film was always thought of as good. But sometimes it's also a geo geographical thing. Like, I know that there are films that were successes in the UK that didn't really do that well in the US, so that can sometimes colour the opinions of what I think was or wasn't a big film, uh, and vice versa. But yeah, I mean, as far as Violent Night goes, I will happily rewatch this. I mean, I nearly rewatched it today, and I was like, no, I don't need to, I, I pretty much remember it. Like you say, the best parts for me was... The violence, uh, not the violence, the fight sequences. <laughs> you can say the violence, it's fine. <laughs> no, 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 because it, because it, 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 that I was, my brain was getting ahead of what I was trying to say. Because what I liked is you had this almost comical, not really that aggressive style of fighting. Like I say, he's battering them with presents, he's pushing them and throwing them across rooms, and he's saying intimidating and threatening things, but not really following through with them. Yes, he can definitely throw a punch but you're not exactly watching kung fu santa coming to town <laughs> however that all changes after he gets his ass handed to him a couple times and then a bunch of military reinforcements show up pretty much aping die hard too but that's a you know besides the point oh no definitely it definitely i think i actually that's what i said to my dad too because i was just like they basically i was like it's like a mashup of die hard and home alone but i was like there's a shitload of die hard 2 in there as well oh yeah Oh yeah, and uh, he's he's sitting there alone, and he's he has his big breakdown sequence, which I really liked, and he cries. He takes his wedding ring off, he drops it, and he's like, "I don't know what I should do." And he starts chasing the ring across the room. And where does the ring stop? It stops at a massive fuck off sledgehammer that just so happens to look like Skull Crusher. And he's like, "I know what I must do." And I love that because it was kind of like. His wife essentially gave him permission. The kid is telling him, if you do bad things to bad people, is it really a bad thing? And it's like, you can save everyone. You just have to channel, you know, your inner badass. And then from that point on, the violence, the action, however you want to describe it, goes from, ha ha ha, oh, that was a bit mean, to, holy shit, what did Santa <laughs> just do to that guy? And the way he batters those commandos with a sledgehammer and they, they show you realistically what would happen if a sledgehammer moving at quite high speed connected with your skull. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what would happen. Your skull goes pop and you fall down and you have no idea what happened for the evermore. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that's the thing is like, um, like the thing I was saying before, where it's just like, I, I have a thing with like violence in movies where like, I think it, it should like you should show because that was my thing with I remember like with, um when they shoot like they did uh Rambo uh now it's I think it's like John Rambo uh the Rambo four um, oh the fourth Rambo is amazing yeah wait but it's like it, it is amazing but like also I think I I remember really liking about it when it came out was they really showed like what violence like is because like that thing is like you had like 
there was a whole era, especially in the uh, the two thousands and like the twenty tens, where it was like they because they were going for like PG thirteen ratings. You had like die, live for your die hard, die hard four, where like they released a PG thirteen version where basically all the violence is kind of sanitized, and I was like, that to me is more distressing than the violence because like you're saying okay yes kids let's like like you can see this movie we want your money and i'm like cool but the problem with that being is you're showing there is no consequences of this violence which is a dangerous thing to teach people like granted yes i mean kids know the difference between real and make-believe i mean presumably but like jesus christ that's such a dangerous precedent to sense and like so like you have something like this movie where like you have it's almost, it's funny because my kind of, my only thing is I kind of wish it was a little bit gorier. It's like, I love Tommy Mercola's like style so much of just absolute, just balls to the wall gore. Um, so I wish it was a little bit more, but like the fact that they actually show the consequence that you said, like of Santa murking people with a fucking sledgehammer and like all the, all the different things in this movie, it all feels real enough that I'm like, oh good. Like this is the way it should be. Like honestly, this is like, this is, I mean like even like growing up, like, because you mentioned Commando earlier. Like, Commando. Like, there's, like, fucking just endless violence, but it's all, like, it's not bloodless, but it's just the imagination. So it's, like, it felt, you, like, you feel the hits. So they were, like, Robocop. But there's all that shit in the 80s where it was just, like, the violence was big and over the top, but, like, it still showed how fucked up it was. Like, it wasn't sanitized, which, that's the thing. Like, that just, to me, is insane. No, I agree. I mean... <clears throat> Not to go too off topic on another film that will definitely get its own episode, but Rambo. Oh man, I mean, when that came out, everybody I knew was talking about it. And when I watched it for the first time, I mean, Rambo is one of those films that I always will point people to when they don't understand why I have a problem with a lot of gun play. Mm -hmm. uh, more specifically, how bullets react to objects, especially high caliber bullets. And that scene in Rambo where he gets on the machine gun and starts firing, and people don't die, they fucking disintegrate. Yep. They they atomize and blow apart. And yeah, if you if you stand behind a pissy wooden wall or a car, bullets don't give a fuck. And I, <laughs> I detest that with a passion. And it's like, I've known that since I was a kid, and yet there are still people that are like, oh yeah, you know, if I turn this wooden table up on its end and hide behind it, I'm basically bulletproof. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, it's a stupid thing in fiction that people have like kind of like let perpetuate. And that's that. Like, it depends on the situation whether or not it bothers me. Because like again, like I don't really mind in terms of like superhero stuff because like that's straight up fantasy. Like it's like it's 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 whatever. But like when you're doing something that's even remotely realistic, it's just like to not have a realistic like portrayal of what that violence does is just it instantly takes me out of whatever movie I'm watching because I'm just like that's bullshit like easily and like there, it even has made me like some movies that I like or at least elements of movies that I don't like like um I fucking hate Eli Roth's death wish with a fiery passion but I do think the fact that they like treated the violence realistically because Eli Roth again was a horror director doing action and was into the gore of it so it like that gave it points in my eyes. So like, okay, so at least this feels real. Like I was like, that's fine. Like my brain at least isn't 
I had a problem with a lot of things on this on a filmic level, but it's not taking me out of it on just like a, that wouldn't happen kind of way. Yeah. And, and again, it doesn't bother me either. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen a lot of director video action movies. If stuff like that bothered me, I don't think I could enjoy this genre, <laughs> but um, it is noticeable. And like you say, the, the only reason why it does get on my nerves is some people will see that and go, that's how it works. But, you know, films wouldn't lie to me. That's how it works. It's like, it's not how it works. It's no. really not how it works. <laughs> and I agree with you. When you do get films like this that show, again, I he- I hesitate to use the word realistic because it's not a realistic film, guys. It's a magical Santa Claus being that can literally fly up chimney shoots and pilots flying reindeer. But it shows, I want to say, the correct consequences for the physical action of swigging a sledgehammer or throwing a sledgehammer, which is what I want. If a sledgehammer connects with someone, I want to hear either something snap or I want to see something break. And this <laughs> film delivers on that promise. Yeah, no, and I mean, and it's it also like the Home Alone traps too. Like those, they don't shy away from those. So like, I'm like, that's another tick in their column of like, yeah, that's what happens with Kevin McAllister. I, I'm like, Kevin McAllister is a sociopath. <laughs> like, Kevin McAllister is not a good person. No, I mean, you know, uh, I think there's a video out there on YouTube that, like, literally counts the number of times they die in both films, mm-hmm. and it's in the double digits, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they uh, both, both of them would probably be dead long before they entered the house, which is just so funny to think about, because, you know, that would basically be the film's over in a very different way. <laughs> <laughs> but as for the actual story of the film again if you've seen die hard then you kind of know what's coming they've raided a very 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 rich family's home at christmas um this uh, rich family literally picked the worst security firm on the planet because all of their security there get pretty much wiped out i don't think a single one of them fires off a retaliatory shot and then the super secret ultra team of uh, military dudes that are supposed to come and rescue them well die hard twist turns out they're bad guys too and that they want to steal the money because they don't like working for rich people because they're not very nice to be around and trust me five minutes with most of this family and you're gonna question who you actually want to win on this <laughs> <laughs> no that that's the thing is like i was like it's not the only reason that the family are like the heroes of it is just because of Trudy and her childhood innocence and like Santa protecting her, but also kind of the lore showing you that he is a good person that once did bad things is now like relearning how to do those bad things in order to save this girl that like that makes the family kind of sympathetic by almost by like kind of just by just brushing up against her and like in a way we're just like it's like because they're connected to her they become like so like when they have the big moment where they kill krampus like it does it's like oh yay but like earlier in the movie if you had told me that i was going to be on the side of uh bertrude and his mother i would have been like the fuck i will but like because they do such a good job of a making them funny but also b connecting them to the characters that you do like, you kind of, by osmosis, like, learn to like them. Yeah, yeah, I, you know what? I'd totally blanked Bertrude from my mind <laughs> until you just said it, and, I, and my brain went, did you just mispronounce Gertrude? 
Oh, wait, no, there was like a teenage twat in the film. I remember now. God, that guy was annoying. I mean, I know it was by design, but he was just written to be everything that people hate about modern day teenagers. Live streaming Christmas, constantly show, trying to show off how rich they are. All about that bling life, fam. And I'm just like, if he dies horribly, this will be amazing. <laughs> but he didn't. I was very sad. But like you say, they do eventually give him actual character rather than just hateable phrases. And that does help. Obviously, <laughs> though, the Hollywood actor gets killed. But he gets killed in a funny way, so I don't mind. Um, I think the one member of the family that is perhaps exempt from being hated right from the word go is uh, Alexis Lauder's Linda. Because she is basically not part of the family. She's like married to Jason, even though it sounds like they're kind of separated. They don't they don't quite explain what their status is, because obviously shit hits the fan pretty quickly in the film. But the fact that she's like, Oh, I can't believe you grew up like this and you know, I don't need all this money, money's not everything, that kind of immediately separates her from the rest of the room because she just doesn't care. I mean, I do think also I think Jason they do a good job, like, right from the jump of making him sympathetic, just by virtue of the fact that, like, when they introduce him, he's the one that's, like, excited to see his daughter, excited for Christmas, like, whatever. So it's, like, even though, like, yes, he's part of this, like, a horrible family, um, I feel like the, the core, like, Trudy and her parents are never unsympathetic. Like, I feel like you kind of have to warm up to the rest of the family. Uh, except for uh, Beverly D'Angelo, just because she's great and she's funny, um, just by virtue of just her being the ball buster that she's playing. But um, like, I feel like those core three, I, 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 I think I can always speak for myself. But like, I was like, I was always like on their side from the jump. Like, I was never like, I never thought negatively of Jason. I, I didn't think negatively of them, and I will say that it is kind of refreshing, I suppose, that. Like you say, from the very start of the film, he is a positive father figure. He wants to spend time with his daughter. He's trying to make it work. He's trying to make changes. I feel like the easy option would have been to just not do that and make him an asshole as well. But like you say, they they make a point of having both the parents actually be good parents, actually be good people deep down. And you can see that Whatever it is that has driven a wedge between them, it isn't actually each other. And then it becomes apparent as the film goes on, it's the family that's the problem. The one reason why I think that Jason, and this is a good thing because it's a nice twist, uh, the fact that Jason does what he does, I won't spoil it because the other stuff is in the trailers, but this bit isn't. Uh, it, what he does, which kind of almost saves the day, but it, in reality, it was done to fuck over his family and it it didn't really take into account what his family actually wanted, you know, his wife and his daughters. Like, that was just him and his upbringing going, well, this is what I've always been accustomed to. This is what I believe that people should have. So I'm going to take it, essentially. And his wife was like, but you don't need to. I don't give a shit about that. You're still not listening to me. I think that's the only, the one element where I think you, uh, the audience might be like, yeah, Fuck you, Jason. At least for a little bit, you know? I, I I get it, but I also feel like the whole thing with that character is there's, like, an innocence about him where, like, he isn't... 
like he he just he's so he's just kind of a dumbass like he's not like <laughs> <laughs> he's not being like malicious like he's just like he he that's literally like, like you just said like it's like that's just like what he's been brought up to believe so he's just like if i do this that's how we achieve this he just doesn't understand so he just because he's he's a fucking moron but he's also like he's a very like sweet natured guy clearly like he's not in any way like the rest of the family where like they're all trying to get at her money through like cunning like he's doing this thing that basically is to get away from his family it's like it's, the problem is that he's doing it in the style of his that's why like his, they like they do the whole thing where um his mother is proud of him for what he does um but it's that's that's that should have been your red flag <laughs> like we're just like oh no like that shows that you're making a mistake yeah yeah and also the fact that the one character that i think really doesn't have any redeeming qualities is his sister uh i i, I just have nothing good to say about her she's she i mean i know people like her exist i'm not saying the character was bad and the actress was great it's just there's nothing likable about her, in my opinion. I mean, oh no, no, no! He, it's just that she's really funny. That's the yeah. only reason that I give her any credit. Yeah, no, she's she, funny. She, <laughs> she literally tells the terrorists to torture her brother just so that um, their little unit can be safe. And you're just like, are you kidding me? Given that they were the ones that antagonized the terrorists, and then when repercussions came, they they were like, oh. Yeah, just just torture Jason instead. You know he knows what you want, and and uh, it was sort of like, wow. If if I was Jason and I got out of that situation alive, you, that that's coming back on you at some point. You ain't <laughs> sleeping well ever again. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, like, I, I I the the that family, like that little like immediate family. It's like I mean, they're there. The reason I kind of give credit where credit's due is like they're none of them are good. They're just differing layers of bad. And like the reason I give Bertrude is like, yes, the kid is a total douchebag, but it's not something that I would necessarily like root for him to die. It's just because it's it's just by virtue of the fact that like he's a kid, like doing stupid kid stupid kid shit, and nobody's like there's even like that line where like Beverly Angel's character is like, when he was small, I begged you to beat him. It's like he literally doesn't know any better. Like, this is literally just, like, he's been raised by that woman who is hilarious but awful. So it's like, of course, he is also hilarious but awful. Yeah, yeah. Which just helps you like Trudy more because yes. she is actually an innocent child and doesn't have the same negative traits that the rest of them do. And it, it leads to that brilliant moment where she gets told that Santa Claus isn't real because, you know, the parents are panicking and the terrorists are making him stressed out. And I love John uh, Scrooge's line where he's like, wow, that got heavy real quick. We're going to have to come back at Easter and discuss the Easter bunny. <laughs> I, I, that got a chuckle out of me. Like, you know, he's like, why the fuck are we just standing here letting you guys have a family debate? You know, it's like, this is it is one of those things that happens in so many films where the bad guys will just take a back seat and let, people just have a conversation and in reality they just get pissy and you know pull the trigger or knock them out or whatever and i love the fact that he comments on that it's just like thanks for that episode of the jerry springer show now back <laughs> to the film <laughs> no yeah i mean i, I but at the same time it's, it's like one of those things where like it didn't take me out of it because it's like i don't know i 
it's like when you're watching something, it's like, this, like the, the MCU thing I said before, where it's just like, when you're watching something, I feel like your suspension of disbelief kind of has to go with whatever you're watching. Because remember, I was once watching, I can't remember which Transformers movie it was, but like one of my friends tried to like point out like some sort of like nitpick thing. I'm just like, so you have no problem with their alien fucking robots that are turning back and forth into vehicles. That you have no issue with. But this tiny little fucking, like, thing, you're, that, that's, that, that's the straw that broke Campbell's back. So it's like, that's my whole thing with, like, something like this. Like, it doesn't bother me. Because I'm like, it's a movie with, like, fucking actual Santa in it. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, like, point out little things that are, like, nitpicky. Because they're just like, I'm willing to accept it because I'm watching a movie featuring fucking Santa Claus. It's not like I'm watching, like, fucking, like... Before sun, like a, like a link ladder movie, like before sunrise or something, where it's like, and then there's this random thing that happens. Like it's like it's it's plays into the heightened reality of the situation, so it doesn't bother me personally. I do, uh, no, I, I I didn't say it bothered me. I was saying it was okay. funny. It was funny that Scrooge commented on it. Um, I just love the fact that whenever anything happens, it it's the same as they 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 comment on the fact that oh it's Die Hard Four on Blu-ray or oh it's like Home Alone and. Oh, it's like insert reference here, but not in a Deadpool meta way where it gets kind of annoying if you do it too much. But they did it in a way that was sort of like it makes sense in the universe. And then when they had those typical moments that, like you say, you have to suspend your disbelief. I love the fact that the writers or maybe it was the actors, I don't know, um, had that moment of commenting on it. Like, yeah, we are still here, by the way. Like, remember... <laughs> I find I find stuff like that funny where Scrooge was getting so pissed off by the fact that all of his guys were essentially useless. I always find that funny when you have a villain that's just like, why did I hire you? Why are you here? Why did I bother? It's the same as um when I think it's Gingerbread and Candy Cane. I think it's those two. Or maybe it was Tinsel. I can't remember now. Um, where they start to suspect that Santa is who he says he is, and they're, like, interrogating him. And they're starting to... You can see on their faces, they're actually starting to get, like, afraid, like, oh, what, what if this guy is Santa Claus? And the look from John Leguizamo is just like, are you kidding me? How old are you? Do I really have to tell you that this isn't Santa Claus? And then it, I, I just love how he just stubbornly refuses to accept it, you know? Yeah, no, I do love like that 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 the end of that moment where it's like they're like, it's the reindeer, and he's like, it's the fucking extraction team. Pull yourself together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like I love when films do stuff like that, and um, I gotta say the actress that played Candy Cane, uh, I believe her name is Mitra Suri. She did a great job because she had some great comedic moments uh all the fights with her were great um, I, I don't know if she if that was her or a double i didn't check but even if it wasn't it, it worked for me like her character was just great and gingerbread uh andre erickson his character i was so gutted when he when he dies uh you know it's not really a spoiler the bad guys die um but the fact that he uh He's introduced as this, like, really posh, sophisticated, almost has, like, a boxer-type fighting style when he knocks out a couple of the security guards. And then when I saw that Santa is pretty good at throwing a right hook, I immediately went, okay, we're getting, we're getting like, a proper fisticuffs fight between these two at the end. I can sense it. And then, no, he dies to the fucking Home Alone traps. And I was like, oh, no, Gingerbread, you've let me down. 
<laughs> no, that is fair. I didn't even think about that. Um, that would have been badass. Um, I mean, hopefully, this is, one thing I am curious about is I don't know how it works in terms of like 8711, 87 North, etc. Um, I don't know if they just like choreograph shit or if it's like second unit. Because like, I do feel like if that's second unit, they did a really good job of the actresses of the movie of making it feel like Tommy Wercola. Because like, whenever they did like the big, like, like the, especially like the big centerpiece where Santa goes absolutely off with the fucking sledgehammer on the platoon. Um, it is definitely like action wise, definitely feels like 87, but like in terms of direction, it definitely still feels like something like there's like a lot of the camera moves are very similar. The way the, the kind of the violence works, like in terms of like the slapstick na- nature of it, I was like, so either those guys are really in sync or 8711 just basically comes in to choreograph things and previs, and then like Tommy Workola takes them from there. I have no idea how it works, but I do think that like the way they do the action, it's cool that it doesn't at any point like feel like the movie just kind of changes into like another movie. It all feels like one cohesive thing, which I think is cool. Yes. No, I completely agree. 8711 North, that is a. I, I don't know exactly how they work. I would love to. Just flat out ask them. I'd love to get some of their guys on. I know Mike Chad is a member of 8711 North. And for those who are going, Scott, what are you talking about? Who Who's Mike Chad? Mike Chad is the guy that founded XMA. He's an extreme martial arts guy. But because, give me enough time and I can tie anything back to it, ma'am. Mike Chad was also, in the 90s, the blue Lightspeed Rescue Power Ranger. So there we go. I can link it. I can link anything back to that show, man. Um, but yeah, Mike Chad, he he had his own thing for a very long time. I believe the XMA gym is still open uh, over in America. Um, and he and I know that his label at one point was really big. And then I think extreme stuff, which is what XMA stands for, extreme martial arts. Um, I think that kind of all died like after the, the, the late 2000s, the early 2010s. Mm. But 8711 North did Safe, the Jason Statham film written okay. and directed by Bo Izyakin. And I had no clue who 8711 anyone was at the time like i really didn't look into it but what i do remember quite specifically is safe was my favorite statham film for years at that point like the fight scenes the gunplay was amazing and then when i looked back to see you know what other films had 8711 north done and i saw safe was like the, one of the first ones, if not the first one that they were credited with. And everything you just said about Violent Night applies to Safe. To completely different director, completely different style, completely different tone of the film. And it just works. It just blends seamlessly in. So I, I, I would love to know how that works. My thought process is that obviously they must do previs work. Mm-hmm. Then I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that whoever it is that is going to run the second unit, whoever it is that's going to be doing all of the stuff on set, must actually sit down with the director and maybe see what they do and how they shoot. Because the way that they're able to just essentially insert themselves into other people's films is just insane. And uh, yes, that was definitely just an excuse for me to gush about how much I love Safe. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's also it's, it's funny because like... um. I remember when um, Day Shift was coming out, um, 
I was interested because it was vampires. And then like when I found out that like all of our mutual like action friends were like into it, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And then like um when I found like well the the first the thing that first did it was when I was watching the movie and I saw Scott Adkins show up, like, oh yeah, okay, I get it now. And then like uh Matt was explaining who uh the director was, and I was like, Oh, okay, I get it now. But like, cause it, to me, I know like Stileski and like Leech just because I will never forget their names because um, I remember when I was like, probably like, I'm guessing like 18 or 19, um, I saw Hard Boiled for the first time and like literally my jaw dropped. Like I was with my friend Timmy and our jaws dropped when they did the opening Tea House shootout. We'd never th- seen anything like that. And then um, that had never happened again until I saw John Wick for the first time. And I was just like, when they did the scene, like with like the, like the, platoon of assassins breaks into john wick's house and it did the exact same thing where i was just like i've never seen anything i haven't seen anything this in- innovative since i first got introduced to john wick or john woo um so it's like i've always remembered those dudes and that's why i know 8711 but the only reason i know 8711 um is because of like the notoriety they gain from being associated with john wick and like the style that has kind of other people have tried to do and not do as well but like when you get them themselves doing it it's fucking great because this is a perfect example where it's like i think the action movie is fucking awesome like it was just i like i remember like in the theater like in like that room at comic-con like that whole sequence where like he's fucking everybody up with the sledgehammer like just listening to people's reaction to it was bombastic like it was like you'd hear like laughs you'd hear like cringes you like whatever and it was just like it's just watching how well that's done that you can basically create whatever vibe you want in that room and change it from second to second like you were a maestro it is so cool to me so uh, i got two things i gotta say there and i'm gonna pray that my brain can hold them temporarily whilst i get through this first bit which is that uh can you remind me how old you are now if you don't mind saying uh 39 okay so you were 18 when you saw hard-boiled so i'm assuming that was quite a while after Hard Boiled actually released. Is that right? Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah, no. It was when Netflix was uh, DVDs. Like, it's like when I was, like, when it first came out, I was like a kid. So like, there was just no access to it. And then, like, when Netflix became a thing, it's when I got, I started to be able to watch anything. Yes. See, this is, this is, and again, I, I, I've said this before, and I'm really sorry to people who are listening, um, like, regularly and probably tired of me saying this, but here in the UK, very different experience with uh, Hong Kong films. I, had hard-boiled on DVD since I uh, was about 11. Um, with, there's a, only a few years difference between you and I. You're at the tail end of 30. I'm at the beginning. I'm 31. Mm. And uh, I I remember ha- having that DVD like when I was still in school. And that would have that was long before Netflix. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I loved hard-boiled. I, I actually think in retrospect, I got spoiled by seeing so many of those those genre defining classics but i always remember the dvd that i had it had a, a like a review on it and it said something to the equivalent of more action packed than if 16 diehards were all made and lined up in a row and put in one movie this one would still be better and I, and that quote alone made me go i think i need to watch this <laughs> <laughs> that's fair it's a really good review but uh, the second thing I was going to say, 
has escaped my brain. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the third thing I was going to say, which uh, uh, hopefully the second thing will come back, but the third thing is you were saying about the the fights. Multiple times through this film, a thought kept occurring to me, and it was really sort of tapped off or capped off with the end fight between Santa and Scrooge, which again, we won't uh, go into too much detail, but how that all happens, I died laughing, but also it I, I'd said it several times throughout the film, but that end moment between Santa and Scrooge felt like the it, it fucking deserved a fatality. <laughs> and my brain immediately went, why is Tommy Wakola with 8711 not making the next Mortal Kombat film? That's actually a really good point. Yeah, this that's film legit. is a better MK film than the MK film. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong at all. That didn't even occur to me, but that's legit. Ah, uh, there we go. Tommy Wakola for MK, whatever the next one's called. Let's get something trending. Let's let's <laughs> prove that we have power on Twitter before it implodes. <laughs> I mean, what's the thing is like I also think that's kind of like the one point because I'm not going to spoil it, but I mean you probably have a good idea where the how the movie ends. Um, but um, that's kind of the moment where um, like Wazamo kind of fully is what I want him to be the whole time. Yes, where it's like he has like that line where it's just like basically where he's just gonna he's like I'm going to kill Christmas. It's like I'm going to kill Santa Claus. It's just like yes. This the whole time is this is what I wanted the entire time. Like I was like, I want you to be this level of evil. Yeah, yeah. He once he realizes and like stops being stubborn about the fact that Santa is real, and he like fully embraces that this is happening. He he works like like I agree with you. I wish he'd been like that. Well, I wish he'd had that energy all the way through. I still yeah. really like the fact that he is refusing to believe that this is really happening oh no, no no that's what i mean as i'm saying like i was like the energy is what i want I don't, yeah I, yeah I yeah do, no i was no, i was yeah, just I correcting love, myself yeah 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 i do love like the whole like i said like the, the, the bit where it's just like all the things where he's refusing to believe it makes it that much better like when they're like when like bjorn and cure are like it's the reindeer it's like it's the extraction team pull yourselves together it's like that shit is genius i just what i think is like i just wish he had that like kind of dark demonic energy to match the kind of light and heroic energy of Harbor the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, the fact that um, they do it... Well, actually, no, to be fair, I didn't actually say this, but one of the things that I think was also kind of smart is because Santa himself is not believing in Christmas, because people in general don't really believe in Santa, they do a very smart thing, which is that, yes, he has powers in inverted commas, but conveniently, they ain't fucking working right now. So he can't just magic his way through everything. And the fact that very occasionally in the film, they do kind of kick in just at the nick of time. But the fact that they, 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 they make that decision real early on, it's like, he can't just summon mystical reindeer to attack them. The elves aren't going to show up in war gear to fight the bad guys. It is all down to Santa and... His powers are not currently working, so maybe he could have done something, maybe he couldn't, but he's got to do this the old-fashioned way. And like you say, that, that, no, it's the extraction team line is brilliant, but it also goes hand-in-hand hand with that same sequence where the little girl makes them think that it's snowing inside, and then they're like, oh my god, 
he is Santa. And then he's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the fact that they play on people's beliefs were great. And then he does use magic to escape up the chimney. And I love the way that Scrooge is sort of like, oh, come on, guys. It's quite clearly there was a harness and a bungee cord. He grabbed it and it just pulled him out. And the other guys sort of looking at him like, are you joking? That, that <laughs> chimney is not big enough for any kind of man to fit up. And uh, it's just uh, I, it's just great. <laughs> you know, I yeah, no, I definitely like I do like the whole thing because like, I do like they like they mentioned the Christmas magic thing, but they also like make clear that even he doesn't know how it works. <laughs> but it's just like there's like all that it's like he's like Christmas magic. I don't really know how it works. And I'm just like, that's nice. I like that because it's kind of like it's like my whole thing with like um in Terminator when um they're asking like uh, like uh, Kyle Reese about the time travel, like the mechanics of the time machine. He's like, I didn't build the fucking thing. It just like, yeah, I, I like it when they're just like, things just, you know, exist. And even the people who are taking advantage of the things don't necessarily know how they work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of stuff reminds me of a joke that uh, an Irish comedian who's very popular over in the UK called Dara O'Brien. He has a, he had a great uh, set where he would say, you know, people think that if they could go back in time and, uh, see people who don't know what technology is like you could impress them you would be a god to them you would you know you would be able to walk amongst them the peasants and uh, you could advance humanity by sharing the secrets and you'd meet with their best minds their most brilliant thinkers their creators and they'd sit down and they'd say so what can you tell us what secrets can you give us from the future and you'd tell them we have fantastical devices that we can use electronically and we can bring up information, we can find stuff, we can do this, and they would be excited. And then they would say, how does it work? And you'd go, uh, <laughs> well, it it plugs into a thing in the wall. And they'd go, oh, wow, that sounds interesting. What is this thing in the wall? Uh, it's a <laughs> plug. And then it, I won't do the whole thing because, you know, that's what we're here for. But it then descends into absolute madness as they try to, like, understand how electricity works. And it's absolutely hilarious because that's when you realize you actually don't have a fucking clue how most things in the world work. And actually, if you went back in time, you'd just be as thick as everybody else because you don't know anything either. No, yeah. The only reason, like, the only thing that would be cool is, like, um, in, like, because, uh, like, my, I'm not going to say it's my favorite, but it's one of my top three uh, Van Damme movies is Time Cop, and I always like remember when I was a little kid seeing the trailer in front of something with my dad, and there was the bit where they um like rob like the stagecoach whatever it is, but they have like modern guns, and I was like that's fucking awesome. Like I was just like, but it's like that's the whole thing is like if you were to go back in time, the only way you're gonna like own anything is if you're just like I'm going to go back and rob the stagecoach, but I'm going to do it with like an AK-40. Fuck it, I'm going to do it with a fucking tank. Like <laughs> it's just like it's like that's the only way you're going to impress anyone or do anything. Yeah, yeah. It it reminds me of uh, an episode. Don't ask me which one of uh, Walker Texas Ranger, where um, <laughs> okay. he, he he ends up going on a vision quest. Uh, so he ends he up in the past, in the time of uh, of cowboys. And of course, of course. Uh, but he still has his modern day uh, ranger gun somehow. And of course, they're trying to shoot him with freaking revolver six shooters. And he's got his, you know, fully automatic can hold 45 rounds. And 
the reaction from the cowboys that always sticks with me because they're like, oh my God, what is that? It's like, it's the devil's gun. Run. How can he fire that quick? And I was just like, yeah, people forget that. <laughs> Technology does evolve rather quickly. It does, especially like nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Is it safe to say, Patrick, that you thoroughly enjoyed Violent Night and would recommend anyone who somehow hasn't seen it should be seeing it? Oh, absolutely. Like, because even like that, that my whole thing is like, um, it was funny. Um, this year I actually it was nice because um, between because like last year um, I we I last Comic Con they showed us Ghost, Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, before it was out. Like it was like a month or so before it was out. And um, Matt Essery, uh, who's been on your show, obviously, and as our friend, and I uh, wrote, have written for many times, he was like, do you want to review it for the site? And I was like, yeah. And so, like, since I did that, and I wrote that review that night, I then had to basically keep my mouth shut and kind of do my own embargo for, like, months afterwards. And that sucked. Um, whereas in this case, it was like, I know they want me to talk about it the, the night of and ever since. And that's why I've like, whenever people were talking about this movie, I was like, no, you should watch this movie. I was like, literally, I have like some small nitpicks, but I was just like, as a whole, I was like, this is a really fucking fun movie. I was like, if it, if it, if the idea of it is at all appealing to you, you should fucking watch the shit out of this movie. Like, I was like it's really fun. Like, I was like, it's really, really fun. Yeah. No, I, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I, uh, it's a shame that, I, I I don't know how well it's done financially. Like I haven't. Oh, it's done actually really well. It's actually done. I checked it today. Um, it's like it. Um, because I remember people were like saying, um, they pulled it from theaters, like or they put it on VOD. It's still in theaters, but they pulled it from they put it on VOD too fast. And I was like, well, to be fair, like it's not going to keep making decent money after Christmas. Like nobody's going to really probably going to go. Um, but no, it did make. I think it made like. Uh, I, I, it didn't cost that much. It definitely made like at least three or four times what it cost. So it definitely made enough to justify them making more of them if they want to. And they talked about doing more. Like, cause, like um, Harbor had talked about like his ideas for the sequels and stuff. And I was like, yes. Like, so it's like, hopefully it's going to happen. It seems like it's going to happen. That's good. According to IMDb, it made 44 million in the US and Canada, and it's made 67 million worldwide. So I think it's safe to say that it counts as a win. Uh, fingers crossed that they do get more made. I'm hoping that we do get more. Uh, like I said, I could watch David Harbour be Viking Santa to the end of days. I really hope that we do get to keep Tommy Wakola, unless, of course, he gets pulled off to make a Mortal Kombat film. That's the only way I'll accept that we can't have him back. <laughs> or Dead um, Snow 3. <laughs> sorry? Or Dead Snow 3. <laughs> uh, I... I, I yeah, I don't. I don't think Dead Snow Three is ever happening. I did read a thing, kind of explaining why, and I can't remember what it is. But I think it came down to financing and producers that are involved. Just they can't make the film without them, and they don't want to make the film. I think is what it boiled down to. I don't exactly remember why, but I remember it reading it, and I was like, "Oh wow, this sounds like such a mess. No wonder they don't want to do it." You know. Fair enough, but I will hold on to hope regardless. Just like I will continue to hold on to hope they make Doctor's Two Dead Meat. Probably is never going to happen, but I'm going to keep hoping for it till the day that I am dead. Hey, I mean that new release of Dog Soldiers seemed to get a lot of people talking about it, so you never know. Indeed. And I mean, you know, when Lindsay was on talking about Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, we had a big thing about 
the uh, sequel that never happened and the plans that were involved for that. Imagine my surprise when I looked at Tommy Wakola's IMDb as of today to see Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters 2 as part of his in-development section again. So it's like, who knows? If that can happen, anything could happen. Indeed, we'll see. Anyway, thank you very much for coming on. I feel like we've been talking for a long time. We might not have been. I honestly can't remember. Uh, it's uh, it's one of those episodes that I tried to squeeze in in between doing a lot of other stuff because no sooner have I returned to my podcasting lair am I leaving yet again, this time to go to the not-so-sunny country of Wales to see my <laughs> brother-in-law. So if I see any sheep, which I definitely will, I shall, I don't know, sheep at them. <laughs> okay. But yeah, thanks once again for joining us, and I think that's about it for this episode. As I said, if people listening didn't listen to the Witch Hunters episode, you should. It was a great one. It featured Lindsay. Then we also did an episode of Mortal Kombat with Brendan, where I pretty accurately uh, and passionately tell you why I didn't like the film, and Brendan did not disagree with me. So <laughs> if you somehow haven't listened to those two episodes, I would highly recommend going back and listening to it. Matt Essery has obviously been on multiple episodes, and Patrick is now going to tell you the name of the website that he wrote that review for Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I believe you can find many, many more articles written by Patrick. Oh yeah, it's uh, video-culture.com. And that is Matthew's website, who uh, doesn't seem to advertise it when he comes on anymore. He definitely used to when he went on shows, but I don't know if that's just because he's too busy now writing for Polygon, the show-off. <laughs> well, yeah, I know the site's currently kind of uh, on hiatus, um, so that's why like my attention has been focused on doing uh, the podcast with Rob, Chainsaws and Claws, which uh, I was going to say, I was just like, and if you want to hear me talk about how much I hate Bill Goldberg as Santa, or actually I hate him as anything but Santa, that's on Chainsaws and Claws, any Christmas-related episode. Yeah, um, I definitely need to give that a listen. I feel bad because I'm not, well, I am, but I'm not really a horror person so pretty much every episode you guys have put out i haven't seen the film and i don't really like listening to episodes if i haven't seen the films but maybe that one i'll listen to because i'll probably never see the film but it sounds like it could be fun to hear you like not like someone or do like <laughs> someone i mean i generally try to like keep it positive but fuck bill goldberg i'm just saying fuck that dude fuck that old fuck fuck him fuck him <laughs> i mean I, I I have a rule, which is that if I'm reviewing a film, it is what it is. If I'm doing an episode, which will usually be about an older film, then I try not to pick one that I know I don't like every time. Like, I try to have a bunch of episodes where it's positive, we're, we're highlighting the good. Yes, there's probably some bad, but for the most part, I like this film. Here's why. Let me geek out about it. But... Mortal Kombat was a negative episode. Showdown in Manila was kind of a negative episode with a redeeming bit. Like, in both of those, we tried to be like, I fucking hate this, but here's the good stuff, and here's how I hoped that we could improve in more Mortal Kombat than Manila. But uh, it's one of those things where I feel like it's important to always stay positive, but I also feel like if you go too far in that direction, you're not really critiquing discussing reviewing uh, whatever however you want to look at it it's like if you're too positive you're just going to ignore the shit that matters and no one's going to care because oh well you just love everything you know you know what i mean yeah 
No, no, that, that's really funny. Is like the way that like uh we we would pick things for our show is um basically we kind of like go through like a list and like we will kind of just like pick off of it. And um so far we don't really there's only, there's like nothing where we like actually one thing that came up we were discussing it where I'm like this is a bad idea because I fucking hate that movie and I was like I'm just gonna shit on it the entire time and he was like okay we won't do that though and I'm like okay cool um but like even <laughs> there was some that I thought I was being like at least like even keel and then like I saw people's reaction were basically like apparently the, the general vibe was that I was just shitting on it I was like okay like I was just like apparently I don't really have a barometer for this <laughs> I thought that I was saying at least like halfway positive things or like lukewarm things um but apparently not so much that was our problem episode so there you go if you want to hear me being i guess negative there you go that's that one i i i think as well and i'm and i'm gonna say this in this episode just because i think it's relevant to the topic of podcasting and film discourse is i don't know because i haven't listened so i'm not saying specifically what you said but I've certainly seen it in other episodes of different shows and even in people's writing where they're really not saying anything negative and overall they're positive about a film. But unfortunately, you're talking about somebody's favorite film or you're talking about a film that somebody has told everybody else is amazing. So if you don't like it 100%, the only thing they're going to focus on is the stuff that you didn't like that they did. And then they get a post about it and negativity always gets more engagement than positivity. So you'll attract the other people that also don't like the fact that you said negative things in a wonderful little feedback loop that is great for engagement and websites. It's why they make clickbait, but not so great if you actually want to have, you know, sensible discussion. And especially on the Internet, things get taken out of context and get out of hand real fucking quick. Which is part of the reason why I don't want to talk about things I genuinely hate about because they're usually things that have a really diehard hate it or love it fan base around them. And I'm like, I don't want that. <laughs> no, that's the, actually, I completely get that because that was my whole thing with um the we the recently. I mean, yeah, I think you, you probably didn't see it already. You like, it was it was kind of like our entire action Twitter went into like civil war um, because like I really like end of days um i think end of days is awesome and um our mutual uh twitter friend uh for crazy cats um one day like was shitting on it and that was kind of the thing that i said i was just like because he was just like i didn't know so many people like this movie i thought we all kind of universally hated it and i was like dude every movie no matter what you think of it is somebody's favorite movie and actually for that matter i'm sure there's movies that like that you think everybody loves that somebody actively fucking hates but it's like everybody has their own thing. Like, like I love Suicide Squad, which most people hate. And like that's it is what it is. But it's just like I feel like the thing to keep in mind is whenever it's like the to quote uh, another wrestler that I fucking hate, Jerry Lawler, uh, where you say on commentary, like keep your words soft and sweet because you might have to eat them. That's kind of my thing too. Where it's just like if you it's like it, it, whatever you're coming at try to come out in the best way you can like try to at least keep the most measured reaction you possibly can yeah yeah that's that's pretty good advice um sometimes i i also think that people this applies more to creators than say a professional review but i feel like people sometimes miss the difference between 
what your actual opinion is, and what is performative for the benefit of entertainment and engagement. Because I feel like a lot of people get caught in that trap with people that make reviews on a platform called YouTube. And there are many people on there that like to say the most inflammatory statements that they can possibly think of to get the exact reaction they get. They make a shit ton of money on it. And then everybody else wonders why they keep doing it. And I feel like sometimes I want to do that because it can be entertaining and I do enjoy a good roast, as they say. (laughs) But it's one of those things where too many people take you literally. And it's like, dude, come on, listen to the tone of my voice. Actually, hear how how outrageous the things I'm saying are. I'm not being serious. And if I have to put a disclaimer at the start, it kind of takes the fun out of it, you know? No, yeah. I mean, I do actually hate Bill Goldberg. But yes, I I do understand what you're saying. Oh, yeah, I didn't say that. That means it changes your opinions. But anyway, (laughs) that's going to be it for this episode, guys. We're going to hand you over to myself now, who will probably actually not have an update for you. In fact, no, I'm not going to hand you over to myself. (laughs) The future can suck it. I'm ending this episode the past me. So thank you once again to my guest, Pat. Have yourselves a happy new year because it will basically be New Year's Eve, I think, when this episode is live or very close to it. I'm so lost with days. I hate Christmas time for that. But anyway, take care of yourself, guys, and I will see you in the next one. On the action.